and welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. Hey, how are you? I'm good. We're about 12-ish, 12 and a half days out from Boston. And I woke up this morning and I'm like, I have a cold. I feel sick. Oh, no. My body is shutting down, but (laughs) I'd rather feel a little bit gross now than, you know, a week out. So let this pass. I feel like that's also so typical for the taper. Totally. You feel like garbage. Right. Right. So I think you're doing it right. (laughs) You know, I would be nervous if something didn't go wrong. Like if I didn't get sick or if, you know, some random body part that has never hurt me before starts hurting. Yeah. I would definitely be doing it wrong. (laughs) We've done many marathons. We've both, you know, seen this, this trend. It always happens. The taper is always a little bit of, you know, that, that mind fuckery, but you just get through it. (laughs) Yep. Totally. I just can't believe it's finally almost here. And I don't know. I'm not nervous. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little nervous about the start because it's like an anticlimactic rolling start where you just like, you're like, I'm here. I guess I'm going now. Okay. That's how they're doing it. Yeah. There's like no gun, no waves. They literally just drop you off in buses. You get some fluids, you pee, you mosey on up to the start line. And then you're like, I, I guess I'm running the Boston Marathon now. And you just go. And so I, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I not going to get that adrenaline? But I think regardless you get that adrenaline. I get it when I work out. And then when you're in it, you know, maybe it's a good thing because then you're not kind of like being flown out of the cannon too hard. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it's weird. Like I'm not sure how to, I know they say like run your own race, do all of that. And and I always normally do, but I'm like, I don't know who to cue off of. Like, do I find a friend at the start? And am I like, should we go? I I guess we're going now. (laughs) So that'll be interesting. It will be so interesting. I mean, there's like so many pluses and minuses. I mean, yeah. I know you and I have both had like the, I've had a hellaciously hot, like, you know, time at that start line where you're just like sweating at Hopkinton thinking like, cool, okay, I'm already dehydrated. And then I've had the, like, I'm freezing, my shoes are wet. I had a replacement pair of shoes in the bag to to wear, uh, to put on and try to make them dry, even though they weren't dry by the time you start, you know, so you've, well, you've yeah. had those. But I, I really do think that like the advantage is is that you've run the race before so you kind of know the like the iconic you know places to get adrenaline even if they aren't as packed I still think that there's going to be a lot of people cheering but even if you know they're they're not as as full of people like you're going to pass by those places and just get all the feels and you're going to be I would be so in in kind of awe of the historic nature of that, like the first and probably only ever time that this race is going to be run in October. And, you know, for you, it's like the first marathon that you've run since the pandemic. Like, I think the vibe is going to be insane. You won't need the start line to get the like, oh my gosh, this is happening. And this is the marathon, the Boston marathon that is happening. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I think that's right. I'm excited. I'm excited for like 26.2 miles of a party. So yeah, yeah, it's taken up a lot of mental and physical energy, just the mental energy. I think over the last couple of years of originally thinking it was going to be spring of 2020 and then kind of knowing when COVID started in the back of my mind that that wasn't going to happen, then having it postponed, then not knowing what it was going to look like for 2021 then, you know, trying to stay fit, trying to stay focused and getting injured like before training even really began. It's just, 
it really has felt like such a roller coaster. And so I feel a little overwhelmed with kind of emotion going into it. Gosh, I'm going to cry. It's so stupid. Yeah. I shouldn't cry no, over this. No. Um, but it's, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting. It's definitely exciting. So. So I have to tell you my, I don't know if I've told, I've ever told this story on the pod, but it's a short story about my like favorite Boston marathon memory, which was, I was kind of coming into the, the final mile and Adam, my sister, my brother-in-law, everyone is standing at a spot that I knew that they would be standing. And so I see them, I'm running and I like put up the kind of like heart symbol with both of your hands and mm-hmm. I scream like, I love you to them. <laughs> but there's a Boston police officer who's, you know, standing doing kind of crowd control <laughs> right there. And so like he sees me and he just screams back, we love you too. <laughs> and he puts up the like hard hands and I was just like oh this is so perfect like because that is the feeling of that race like it is literally 26.2 miles of like every city that you pass screaming like we love you to like every single runner and like that memory is it's perfect like I don't think I could have a more perfect Boston Marathon memory than than that and I just I think about that all the time. I love that so much. That's so good. Yeah. I remember my best Boston memory is, and I had a terrible day when I ran it. Like I was legit. I've never had a good one. So I think I did one 20 mile run like two weeks out. Hmm. I think my mileage was like 30 miles a week. I was injured. I was so undertrained. And my parents were there and they were at the top of Heartbreak Hill and I knew they were going to be there. So I was looking out for them. And they didn't see me, but I saw them and I just went over and like gave them the biggest hug. And I finished that race in four hours and 12 seconds. And like, that was that 12, that was that 13 seconds, you know, Mm -hmm. going over and and hugging my parents and like, uh, emotions, just all of the emotions. It's a, it's a big one. It's going to be epic. It's going to be amazing. And we'll have to do a podcast about all of it. But, you know, speaking of, you know, training and stuff, how are you doing with recovery? How are we doing with, you know, prehab, rehab, strength? Are we doing any strength? I mean, taper is such a weird time. Yeah, I haven't really been doing any strength other than like my rehab and prehab stuff for the last few weeks, just because I'm doing a lot of exercises, you know, a couple times a day. So... Once once this race is over, I think I'm really going <laughs> to prioritize that as I, I work to get healthy. But, yeah. you know, poor Matt of Ever Athlete who just like has to put up with my texts and my random crap. Like I texted him last week and I was like, my foot hurts. I was like, it's falling <laughs> off. My foot is going to fall <laughs> off. I think it's broken. And then I was like, I keep pressing on it and it hurts. So I probably shouldn't do that. And he was like, I think that's a good assessment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like that joke. There's some joke where it's like you go to the doctor and you're like, doc, it hurts when I do that. And the doc's like, don't do that then. Like, <laughs> just don't do that. And you're like, that. oh, that's oh. an option? Cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Yeah. I feel like every, I mean, every athlete probably, but you know, we talk about runners because we are runners. Like 
I think we all assume that like coaches and PTs and chiros that like everybody else except us is like just doing the program, doesn't have any weird questions, that they never have like niggles or weird things. But I honestly think that everyone is like this and it is like the job of a good coach, PT, chiro, anyone dealing on the other end of athletes to just like field constant bizarro questions and be like, you're going to be okay. Or, you know, occasionally be like, you're not okay. And you need to calm down. You need to sit this one out. But more often than not to be like, we can change the plan. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and don't press rankle like that. Just if you yeah. can run, don't <laughs> don't don't do that. Don't be an idiot, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you want someone to tell you to not be an idiot <laughs> to also help you through things, you know, make sure you check out Matt at Ever Athlete. Go see him in person for chiropractic care, but also check out all the amazing stuff they're doing online, everathlete.tv, 50% off your first month with discount code ROTB50. Just make sure you do that. Thank you. Just do that. Yes, thank you, and please, and thank you. It's that, that, that works. Covers it. Done. I also, like, I was telling Dina last week, I was like, I think at this point in time, my reading comprehension or my, like, ability to speak is also very low. Like, if I had to take the SATs right now, I would not score well on the verbal part. Wait, Mimi, is this you telling me about my own reading comprehension? Because yesterday you texted me and said, let's record the intro. And you said tomorrow at 7 p.m. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll talk to you today at 7 p.m. And then you were like, sure, I can do today. But just so you know... Like, you couldn't have been more clear, and I just was in my own little bubble. And I don't have marathon training to blame for that. That was just Sunday brain. (laughs) No, I blame myself for that, too. I probably did something wrong. I probably transferred it to you, so... Is it? It's a contact, like it's a, yeah. the contact brain. Yeah, part if or I whatever. text yeah. someone, their reading comprehension immediately goes down. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> it's it's highly contagious. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I'll, okay, I like that. Okay, so <laughs> sorry That's guys, we're, we're a little we're sorry. a little delirious. <laughs> No, it's all it's all giddy goodness. And honestly, today's guest give, you know makes us makes us smile. We have returning champion Matt Forsman of Sasquatch Running coming back to talk to us about the evolution of the run company, the evolution of kind of what he's been doing for virtual, the Haunted Bay Area tour, which is now the Haunted Bay Area Adventure. And it was really, it was a really interesting conversation talking about the, you know, kind of all the emotions and the realities of trying to balance the return of in-person events, but also the need for some virtual events um, and how, you know, he sits at that intersection being a runner himself, a person who organizes events and someone who coaches, you know, ideally group runs. But, you know, during the pandemic, that wasn't, you know, it was more virtual group training. And I just thought that this was such a good little time capsule of what I think we're all feeling right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talk about all of that and just sort of the reality of the pandemic and navigating different people's comfort levels and preferences, especially as it relates to racing and just 
all of the nuances and challenges and like, there's no blueprint for any of this. And I think something that we appreciate so much about Matt is like, he's like, okay, I'm going to throw it all out the window and I'm going to try to make things happen, but I'm also going to like create something totally new out of it. Yeah. And I think that that's really admirable. So yeah, we're excited for you to hear this episode and, and to hear what Matt has been up to lately. So enjoy this episode with Matt Forsman. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. We are so happy to be here back with returning guest, Matt Forsman. Uh, It's been a while since we've caught up and there's just been so much going on. So Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me back. It's been almost a year, I think, actually. I know. It's definitely been a year since like I got that first DM. I was on a plane. I remember that. And then I remember I like messed up your email address and which just... (laughs) seemed like a harbinger of things to come of like, we've been scheduling, rescheduling all of the things, but whatever, it doesn't matter. We made it happen. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So let's get started with some exciting in-person stuff, which is so awesome. So it sounds like in July, you hosted your first live in-person race in nearly 18 months at China Camp, which is a great course. I love it there. Like, what was that like to plan? Well, just getting to race day was quite a battle. And the battle kind of started on April 15th when Gavin Newsom announced that the entire state was going to be opening up. Simultaneously, the Warriors were having fans show up at their games. Likewise for the Giants. Obviously, they had some protocol in place. You know, you have to furnish uh, proof of vaccination, negative COVID tests. But for me at that point, that kind of pushed all of my buttons and really just kind of triggered me because I had been spending more than a year. I had spent more than a year basically not being able to do anything I could normally do, seeing all kinds of non-essential businesses being extended an opportunity to get creative and to continue to function. And at this point, there's some compelling data points that indicate anything outdoors is like 20 times less risky than anything that's going on indoors. And I had just kind of had it. And I wasn't like looking for, I wasn't looking for a rumble or anything like that, but I was, I wasn't going to back down. I, I was looking for answers. If you can't provide me a permit, if you can't give me the go ahead, explain to me why we can't do this. And so I kind of went down the, the rabbit hole, which was an interesting experience. I mean, rattling the cages of local politicians talking to Mike Bone and a variety of different people who were involved in the California Endurance Coalition. I mean, everybody was fighting this battle, trying to find a way to creatively resume. And then finally, about a month later, actually, it wasn't a full month later, it was the last day of April when California issued the guidelines to safely resume. So as soon as I got those guidelines, I immediately forwarded those over to my contacts at China Camp and all the other individuals I've been talking to. And predictably, they were like, well, we haven't been given the green light to do this. And it's like, well, this is the state of California. You work for the state of California. Like, what's the next step? What's what's the next flaming hoop I got to jump through here? Who do I need to talk to? What cages do I need to rattle? But finally, mercifully, in late May, right before Memorial Day weekend, I got the green light to proceed on July 18th. And so that's, <laughs> that's, that's how we got there. And then the race itself was... Uh, yeah, it was just kind of surreal being back after such a, a lengthy hiatus. And obviously I was concerned, am I going to be rusty here? Do I still know how to do this? It's been so long. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the race overwhelmingly went really, really well. Yeah, there was a tremendous amount of gratitude from the folks who participated, who signed up. I mean, they were just so happy to be back. I, I was too. 
but it was it was pretty surreal. It's actually kind of strange now. It's like, did that actually happen? I'm like, that actually happened. That was real. Yeah, I feel that way about like everything that you do for the first time in like over a year. You're like, do I know how to eat in a restaurant? Are we doing that? But I'm curious. So most of us are not amazing race directors like you. So how different is that permit process? And how different was the feel of this race from previous? So it sounds like it took like a month to get the approval. Like what is typically the process look like? So the process typically in the old normal is usually pretty straightforward. So China Camp State Park, I produce usually two races a year there, and I've worked with them before. So they know me and they're generally pretty comfortable with me and the work that I do. So you've got some standard paperwork that you fill out. And for me, at this point, a lot of it is just sort of copy and paste and a few minor tweaks. And then usually it's not a terribly lengthy review process. And then I get the green light. This time around, they would allow me to put like a placeholder on the calendar. And one of the things you're really not supposed to do is to advertise a race before your permit has been approved. Given that we're operating in unprecedented times, there were some race directors, not just me, there were other race directors I knew of who were advertising their events despite the fact that their permit wasn't formally approved because you you had to, there's a significant expense up front. So you have to cover that expense. So how are you going to cover that? Through registration fees or sponsorship. So at any rate, you know, got the placeholder and then, you know, it was really just a matter of kind of fighting that battle and doing whatever I could to push things forward. Okay, we can't do this. Why can't we do it? You know, we're following the science, we're following the data, but the data we have here indicates that we can do this. Like, you know, and also it it became very clear that like China Camp State Park is a California state park. You would sort of think, you know, logically, intuitively, okay, if you're part of California state parks, like a state park is a state park is a state park. They all kind of operate the same way, but that's not what was happening. So back in April, when I started this battle to try to get a permit, you know, there were parks up in like Sacramento that were hosting events in modified format. But for whatever reason, you know, China Camp State Park wasn't operating that way. And I got stonewalled on more than one occasion trying to identify, okay, who's the gatekeeper? You're telling me you can't do anything. I appreciate that. This is not within your purview, your sphere of influence. Who do we need to talk to? Who needs to be engaged? Like what needs to happen here? To, to be frank, I mean, there was a period of time in, in mid-April where, I mean, I really kind of felt like I was on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Like, I, I can't move forward with anything live, despite the fact that I'm seeing other races being produced an hour, two hours north, south, east, all over the place, not here. My only real source of revenue is, you know, I have some virtual offerings, but, you know, people are, of course, pivoting back to the live experiences because that's really what they want to do. And so oddly, I was like, okay, well, the vaccines are circulating, things are moving in the right direction. And I oddly found myself in the space where I'm like, I'm going to lose it here. Like, I can't survive. Like, suddenly I'm in a worse situation than ever. How does that happen? I mean, fortunately, that was a, a short lived period, but there was a period there for three to four weeks where I just, I, I literally it was like my head was going to explode. Like, I, I needed to do something else entirely because, you know, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. But fortunately, did finally get the permit approved. But I mean, it was a long, arduous battle. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And it's, I think, so frustrating when you're like, these people can do it up here, but like I'm two hours south or whatever and I can't. And like, what's the reasoning behind it, right? Like there's never been really any consistent guidelines. I think what we've always been looking for is like following the science. I was listening to something on, I think it was on NPR the other day, or I don't know, it had to have been NPR because it's the only non-music radio station that I listen to, that I think they were talking about like different restrictions. And it was like, there's going to be a certain restriction for any event that is over a thousand people. And I was like, because 
999 people or 998 people is like more safe. So in some ways it feels super arbitrary, but like to what you were saying, we know that if we're outside, if we are able to take precautions, if we are able to social distance in some way, then we're we're relatively safe, right? And like, there's always going to be inherent risk. And to the point earlier of, we take all the precautions we can. We encourage people to get the vaccine. We require proof of vaccine or we require a negative test. And that's really all we can do other than doing what we did at the beginning with total lockdown. And it's just, it's hard. I think what I've been trying to balance is I'm, so I'm a public health professional. I have a master's in public health. I don't want to come on here and, and sort of preach my beliefs, but I believe everyone should have the vaccine. I believe that every business should require their employees and people servicing the business to get a vaccine or to show proof of a negative test or to do all of the things. So I'm very much on that side of things. And I also am like, okay, hopefully if everyone gets the vaccine, we get to the point where it's not like no one is going to get COVID. We know people are going to get COVID, but it gets to the point where even if you do get it because you're you're mostly protected, it's, you're not in the hospital, you're not on a vent, you're not going to die. And I think if you read every article about sort of COVID going from a pandemic to an endemic, like the flu, like that becomes our new normal. But the hard part is wrapping your head around that. And the, the hard part is getting people to the point where enough people are vaccinated so that it does truly become an endemic rather than a pandemic. And I'm going to stop there with my public health advice. Um, but it's it's a hard mind shift and how that impacts sort of our risk tolerance is really, it's like an interesting sociological thing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I was, I was fortunate to pull off my race back on July 18th. My girlfriend and I went on a short vacation to Hawaii, which was great. But the last day or so we were there, that's when the announcement was made, okay, indoor mask mandates are back, which, you know, I saw that coming. But, you know, it's sort of a disheartening way to wrap up the vacation. And I'm segueing into, okay, I've got another race on October 10th. And quite frankly, my registration kind of fell off a cliff after that announcement. Mm. And it's, it's since, you know, kind of picked back up again. But I talked to a few other race directors. And I mean, there was nothing for me to really tie it to aside from fear and anxiety, quite frankly, like people aren't really sure. And I resumed my, my run club back in June, and we had two breakthrough cases. Fortunately, they were they were very mild, you know, cold symptoms, and they were basically fine after a week or so. But, you know, the fear and anxiety was, I mean, it's, it's been there for a year and a half now, if not longer. And I think we had a nice little honeymoon phase there for about four to six weeks, really, where it's like, oh, we're at the finish line. And then, you know, the Delta surge and suddenly, oh, no, we're not at the finish line. We still have miles to go here. You know, that endurance athlete mindset got to, got to lean into that again. And, okay, what do you do at mile 20 of the marathon? How do you find a way through this? Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd be lying to you if I said, you know, I've been able to easily make that shift back into, okay, you're back in survival mode. But I mean, I've definitely have been struggling with some mental fatigue yeah. recently. It's like, what do I invest my energies in? Do I lean, you know, into the live events? Do I invest my energies in the virtual? Because people are kind of anxious and scared, but they're tired of virtual. You know, again, it's one of these things where I'm like, you know, I have to remind myself, you know, look, this is a hell of a lot better than where we were last year. This is better than where we were six months ago. And trying to not, you know, have sort of a Pollyanna mindset about this, but like, that's the best I can do. It's like, okay, this is, this is better than where we were. This isn't the dumpster fire that 2020 was, even though it's kind of smelling like it. 
you know, it's not as, it's not as pronounced, or at least that's what I tell myself. No, I definitely agree with that. I think it's, it's that middle ground where you're like, what is appropriate now? You get kind of gun shy. You do, you go, you know, you go on vacation. I went on vacation and then these things start happening and you're like, am I doing something wrong? Like I'm vaccinated, but like this feels weird. And am I putting myself at risk? And then, you know, it's, we have now these groups, these mental groups of like, I know what it's like to like shut it down. I know what it's like to just not see people. So is that what I do? But I think, you know, figuring out what the middle ground is, is really hard. And to what you guys were saying earlier, like, I think people are hesitant, even the experts are hesitant to like say in any kind of black and white terms, because it's very hard for any of these things to be black and white, what the guidance is. And nobody wants to be the one that says like, yes, in-person races, I'm approving all these permits. It's, it's fine. It's so much easier to just be like, we don't know. But then that's that is so psychologically hard for everyone, for business owners, for individuals to be like, am I training for a race or am I not training for a race? I don't really want to do virtual, but I want community back. I'm actually interested. You mentioned that you brought the run club back. How is that felt compared to like the races? So we're talking about like virtual races. There's kind of fatigue there. We've done one in-person race that seems successful, but now there's maybe concern, but like, what does the run club feel like? Cause that's in-person, but community oriented. Yeah, I mean, I think overwhelmingly it's been very, very positive. And particularly when, I mean, we literally launched the day that California reopened, right? The June 15th. So everybody's in sort of this jubilant, celebratory kind of mood. That was that was sort of the energy. Um, and, and that was present for, you know, I would say the first three to four weeks. And it was truly great to see. I mean, I've been operating my run club in one way, shape, or form for 10 plus years. And I mean, this was a level of energy and enthusiasm that I hadn't seen in a long time. So, you know, people were just thrilled to be out and be around others, whether they were running or not. And of course, most people were running, which was great. But, you know, it was clear that it was something that was really meaningful, that was really special to the people who showed up. And, and I still think that that's the case. But, you know, I do think things kind of changed a little bit. You know, I mentioned we had a couple of breakthrough cases. And, you know, fortunately, they, they were very low risk situations. We weren't like hanging out indoors, you know, at a bar or anything like that. I mean, the overwhelming majority of the things that we've been doing have been outside, but we have tried to do some social events. And we're now kind of staying away from anything that's indoors and sticking to, you know, parklets and outdoors for the most part. But it's, um, I think for everyone, I think it's, I'm not going to position it as though it's like group therapy or anything, but there's definitely a mental health component there. I, I noticed even for myself, like certainly there are times where I'm feeling tired and I don't necessarily want to go, but like it is my run club, so I've got to show up for it. And I almost inevitably feel better just seeing other people there and connecting with other people, even if it's, you know, just briefly. And I, I've had many participating this season who've indicated something similar and that, you know, this has really been good for certainly my physical health, but my mental health, you know, and, and I've got a lot of people in Run Club who are single and they're living by themselves. And, you know, I mean, we all have our, our own battles that we're fighting, but I mean, I can totally understand how isolating that could feel. So, I mean, I feel very fortunate that I'm in a position to provide something that, you know, by and large is, is very close to the old normal. I mean, the way that we're operating right now is by and large how we were operating during the old normal. I, I know the overwhelming majority of the people who are participating, they are vaccinated. You know, they're doing the right thing. They're taking care of themselves. We're taking care of each other. And that's something that I've, I've emphasized many times throughout the season is, you know, look, 
your, your safety is paramount. So we're going to err on the side of caution and conservatism here, whether we're talking about, you know, COVID, whether we're talking about like the air quality, ultimately, you know, want to keep people safe. Yeah. It's been interesting for me because like, I've done two official in-person races, which neither of them were like especially exciting. So they were fine. Like they weren't, I just wasn't that excited about them, but they were, it was a great opportunity to get back and have that feeling of like, you know, some adrenaline that helps push you through just even a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, that's very different than doing a time trial. But like, even at work, we've been doing some in-person offsites and, and taking all the precautions. And I just feel like those have been transformative in terms of my mental well-being and the work itself. Like it takes me out of the daily grind to really being present with people and connecting on a different level. And I'm someone that actually really likes remote work. I'm like, I love not going into an office. I'm okay if I don't see people for months. But I think that it almost like reminds you that like you take certain things for granted. And so I almost feel like it makes sort of those in-person times even more productive and more special. And so I'm someone that, you know, public health crisis and pandemic aside is sort of enjoying this new hybrid world. And you mentioned like, what's the right mix of in-person versus virtual events. And I think just like the workplace is going to be mostly hybrid going forward. I think most events will be like even the Boston marathon, you know, this year, they have an in-person option and a virtual option. And there's the opportunity to get excited and to participate in both. And I realize like there's certainly virtual marathon fatigue. Like I'll be honest, if Boston Marathon was just virtual this year, would I do it? Eh, maybe. But like if marathons would just be virtual going forward, would that keep me going? Definitely not. I don't want to go out there and run a 26.2 time trial. Like that's not what I'm interested in. And even this morning on my run, I was just getting so excited about the Boston Marathon and not, I mean, a little bit about the race itself, because I feel like I'm in really good shape, but more about like seeing people and being with the community and the excitement. And it just got me so amped and gives me like purpose to train because otherwise you just sort of feel like you're training yourself into the ground for no reason. I don't know. That's a tangent, but just something that I've been reflecting on, but I think it is hard. Like there was some chatter on Twitter of like, uh, Delta marathons are being canceled again. Like what's going to be next? And I'm like, guys, shut down that conversation. Like there's no point in stressing about it. We all saw what happened last year, but this year isn't last year to your point, Matt, like it's a different place. We have a vaccine. We have the ability to take precautions. And also like Again, I'm very much for mask mandates, vaccine requirements. Like I'm in that camp. I hope we keep mask mandates on public transportation for the rest of time. Like let's do that, pandemic or not. But I also think that if you're if you're vaccinated, you have the right to be able to assess your risk and what you want to do. And you don't need to shut down, you know, a huge race like the Boston Marathon or New York City or whatever because people can't make their own decisions. I think that you should have Again, vaccine requirements, testing requirements, all of that. And then within that, it's up to the people that are participating in it to assess their risk tolerance. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's, it's funny, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but when I first started my battle to get my permit, one of the things that, that I brought up immediately to China Camp State Park was I said, look, you know, the Golden State Warriors, the San Francisco Giants, they're allowing fans provided they have proof of vaccination and a negative COVID test. I am totally on board with this. I will totally do that. If that's what it takes for me to get a permit, I will totally do that. 
And, you know, it was, it was sort of interesting because I'm like, this is a no-brainer. Like, this is easy to do. And, you know, I talked to a few people who expressed concerns and reservations around HIPAA. And I was like, well, I'm not storing medical data. I'm not managing medical data. Show me, you know, a photo on your phone. Like, this is easy to implement. And there are already businesses that are doing this. Like, I don't understand why this would be an issue. Have them talk to me about HIPAA. That's not a HIPAA violation. If they're (laughs) consenting to share their information and you're not taking it and sharing it otherwise, then you're in the clear. So I hereby give you permission. The public health expert hath spoken. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for giving me the green light here. Finally. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think with those things, like the HIPAA argument is so interesting to me because it's like anything else, whether it's proof of a flu vaccine or any other vaccine that we've been required to prove since we were children, like we've had to show that we're vaccinated against like you know, mumps, measles, and rubella, like that's a requirement to go to preschool, people. You know, it's it's not a HIPAA violation if you're consenting to show it. And if you're not consenting to show it, then you don't get to participate and them's the rules. Like, yep. that's it. Oh, gosh. People might hate on me for this. I don't care. It's all right. <laughs> that's how I feel. I can't please anyone. I, I'm totally on board with it. I mean, most most people in my world, my friends, my family, my loved ones, by and large, we're on the same page. You know, there are a few people who I'm friends with who are in a different space. And, you know, I, uh, I, I try to find middle ground if I can. I, I usually can't. But in, in an effort to try to sway some of my friends, I've really just been focusing on, look, like, I really just care about you. You're, you're my friend. Right. I don't want you to end up in the hospital. I don't want to see you intubated. And I don't want to see you die. And, and that's really 100%. the only reason why I yeah. say anything. Like, I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm not even thinking about the bigger picture here. I'm just focusing on you. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we're also talking about races where, like, no one is forcing you to sign up for a race, right? Like, this isn't regular daily life. Like, this is all optional And just like in certain races, there might be qualification requirements. Like I can't just go out and say, I want to run the Olympic trials because I haven't qualified for that, you know, or there are time cutoffs or there are all of these things. Like that's what it is for races. But yeah, it's tough. We're living in an interesting, interesting to say the least interesting time. But I think like going back to the mental health component too, it's, yeah, I think that like I take for granted the fact that I have a partner that I live with and I get to see people and interact with someone. And I have some friends that are totally isolated and just the toll that this past year has taken on them. It's like no amount of Zoom book clubs is going to, it's going to make up for that. And I think just even mentally and like pivoting the conversation a little bit and, and Bridget and I have talked about this, but like when we looked at like the Olympics and people like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka and others really talking about mental health and the impact of the pressure of sport on mental health and saying like, it's okay to prioritize myself. And I'm, what I'm hoping comes out of those examples, but also sort of the, the, I don't even know if it's the renewed, but the new conversation that feels like a little bit different around mental health that's sort of been triggered by the pandemic will hopefully start to change things. Like we're not all okay all the time, whether your foot hurts or your like heart hurts it doesn't matter. Like you're hurting. Yeah. It's, it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be fatigued. It's, it's okay to hurt. You know, I, I didn't watch a lot of the Olympics, but I quite frankly, it was hard to get excited about it because, you know, you talk about the experience of the race and the energy of the crowds and like, you know, you're watching people compete and effectively they're doing time trials. I mean, they are competing against, you know, other athletes, but 
the energy, all that. I mean, that's, that's part of the experience. Yeah. I can only imagine what it was like to be an athlete competing, you know, after, after four plus years of training and. And just the exhaustion that comes with like, is this happening? Is it not happening? Can my family come with me? Okay. They can't come with me. Like, are there going to be fans? There aren't going to be fans. Am I going to like test positive for COVID because there's something random happened and then I'm not even going to be able to do this at all, which we saw happen to a few people. And like, it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. It's all exhausting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, I, I use the term whipsaw. I mean, that's, that's pretty much how I feel like things have gone for me. And a lot of people I know since this, this started, you're just constantly being sort of whipsawed back and forth. Okay. We're, we're doing this now we're, we're moving in the yeah. other direction. Now we're pivoting this way. And I, I, I think, you know, even for people who haven't been impacted in any kind of significant way, you still can't be firing on all cylinders. No, I think that's a good, like, that's good to bring it back to running of like sort of being ready for anything. You have to be adaptable and like in a race, right? You could feel really good one minute and then you can feel awful the next minute and you have to be able to adapt really quickly. So if I'm going to like bring us back around to like the running, I think that, you know, runners are sort of used to this in some way. Although like, I I don't know, sometimes we compartmentalize things like this is okay in our running life, but like in our work life or our our life life, we want it very different. But I, I see a lot of parallels to running in terms of like how everyone is coping with this. It is a never ending race. Like this is we're just going to be training for the rest of our lives for this, unfortunately. (laughs) But it's almost like when you were saying that, it kind of reminded me of like, you know, there are those workout days or like long run days where you think like, I need to prepare to be like adaptable in this. I need to kind of Mm -hmm. mentally prepare for like, there's going to be phases. I'm going to go through this. I need to get my head right and to get my body right. I'm going to sleep. But for the most part, you know, being a runner is, is about like the days where the runs are kind of unnoteworthy. Like you just kind of, you get them done and they're part of a bigger picture, but they're just kind of like, you're on kind of cruise control. And I feel like that's the thing that we're kind of missing is that like, you know, Matt, you were saying like that whipsaw, it feels like in order to do life well right now, you have to wake up every day and be like, have had no plan, (laughs) be willing to completely give up your plan for that day and let like the world tell you what it needs from you. And you can do that a little bit. I mean, sometimes you're forced to do it, but living that way day and day out is incredibly hard for an individual and for a business owner. It's like, I kind of crave the, like, you know, the, those string of days where you're like, okay, this is just a run on cruise control. It's just like eight miles easy. Like we don't have those days anymore. Every day is like, we're just going to send you out into the wilderness and like, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there was, there was an article that I read last year right around this time, actually. And it was, it was talking about surge capacity and, you know, how we're, we're kind of wired and, you know, you find yourself in crisis mode and you can kind of rise to the occasion, you know, where you think about like the woman who, you know, lifts the car to rescue her child or something like that. Like we have that ability, but it's not something that is sustainable. And I read that article and it totally resonated for me because I was in this space where, you know, God, I'm just, I'm so tired. Like even, even mm-hmm. if I've slept well, even if I'm, you know, I'm taking care of myself, I'm eating well, I'm hydrating, doing all the things I should be doing, I'm still tired. 
Like I don't have the the energy that that I once did. And you know, reading that actually made me feel much better because I'm like, okay, great. I'm not I'm not the only one who is experiencing this and feeling this. And I and I kind of likened the you know like producing a race usually the week or two before you know definitely falling back on your search capacity and you have some long days and long nights and crises and issues and challenges come up and you got to deal with it all. But you know, by the end of the race, usually I'm pretty spent and it takes me some time to kind of bounce back from that. And I think most of us, all of us have kind of been in this space of just sort of perpetually, you know, kind of leaning into that surge capacity to one degree or another to stay afloat. And it's not sustainable. No. And just like adaptation and running, like we need rest, like the good old growth equation, Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus, like stress plus rest equals growth. And if we don't have that rest, like we're not going to grow. We just burn out and we don't have any more surge capacity. I'm going to be taking my first two days of PTO in over eight months since the new year next week. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to... And I'm like, I'm totally offline. I mean, it's for it's for a wedding, so I'll be doing things. But I'm like, oh God, I don't even know what that's going to be like. Yeah. Uh, so Matt, when we first had you on, it was to talk about last year's Haunted Bay Area Run Tour. And uh-huh. now here we are again, a year later, you're getting ready to plan. Is it year two? Was last year the first one? I can't, again, I, yeah. I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's all so, right. So the sequel... Like yeah. any good horror movie, there's a sequel, right? Well, to be to, to be clear, this is more of a a director's cut. There is an official okay. sequel in the works. This is more of the director's cut. So I'm going back to the original material. I'm cleaning things up. I'm polishing things. I'm injecting some more content. I'm enhancing the experience. Some refreshed swag, of course. So really cool glow-in-the-dark Wedalion in the shirt. So this is more the director's cut, and I'm calling it the the road trip because I do want to appeal to, to walkers and hikers. And there are plenty of people mm. who participated last year who weren't necessarily running. And there were some people, quite frankly, who I'm confident signed up just for the swag, which, hey, if that makes you happy, if that's what works for you, I'm not going to turn you away. I I may have been one of those people. I'm sorry. (laughs) The swag was really cool. Yeah. Good swag. Just got to keep it real. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about how it's evolving. Um, well, I mean, after rolling out the Haunted Bay Area run run trip, run tour, what did I call it? I should know this. But after after rolling it out last year, you know, I actually had a nice group of people. I had, I want to say 150 people who signed up for it awesome. and decided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run with this model. And so then I rolled out a sequel slash spinoff called The Great Sasquatch Road Trip, which was a similar kind of experience in that you have a huge course map of 250, 300 miles. And every 20 miles or so, you unlock a hotspot. Unlike the Haunted Bay Area road trip, you were unlocking a Sasquatch hotspot. I discovered this website that basically had hundreds and thousands of reported Sasquatch sightings, primarily along the Mendocino coast. So that became sort of the jumping off point for each one of these Sasquatch hotspots. So, you know, you'd unlock one of these hotspots and you get all the details, you know, the content around that particular hotspot. And then you would also get the next chapter in this sort of choose your own adventure style, you know, interactive narrative where you were, you know, stepping into the shoes of this, you know, Sasquatch investigator who's looking into this this actual hotspot or this alleged reporting. 
So a lot of fun. Again, had about 150 people who did that. And then I actually launched out a third active virtual adventure, which is kind of the term that I've been using as of late to describe it, called the Rock the Lock Challenge. And this one was kind of crazy because when I started doing a little bit of research, I discovered you know there are reportings of weird sea creatures like all over the planet, all over the place. Not just like in Loch Ness, uh, there are reports in like Lake Tahoe, Echo Lake, you name it, like pretty much every single lake has some sort of creature or mascot. So I actually had people kind of bouncing all over the place. So they would unlock, you know, Lock Tahoe after 20 some odd miles, and then they would actually move to another lock. So I had to, I had to kind of get creative with how I assembled this particular experience, but that was actually a lot of fun, kind of taking people all over the place. So they were in theory getting exposure to, you know, locks all over the planet. I love that. (laughs) Did you coin the term active virtual adventures or is that something that was kind of other people are starting to use that term? Because I I like how that encompasses what you're doing here. Thank you. I I just started using that term. And I mean, I don't know how much it resonates for people, but like to me, that really sort of captures the essence of what it is that I'm doing. Because it's not it's not a virtual race. It's not a virtual challenge. So, okay, well, what is it? It's, it's an active virtual adventure. And, and I think, you know, I mean, I'm really passionate about the model, obviously. I mean, I've, I've poured a lot of myself into all of these experiences. And, you know, they, they are, you know, without saying models, they are very different from anything else that I've seen out there, which I'm, I'm proud of. And I'm, you know, I'm thrilled that I, I've come up with something like this. But that also poses certain challenges in terms of like, well, what is this? You're mashing up sort of a virtual mileage challenge with the choose your own adventure story, and, you know, if you haven't read a Choose Your Own Adventure book or you don't know what interactive fiction is, this is something that, you know, may not make any sense to you or may not resonate for you or you may not be interested in. So there's definitely, there's been an educational component there from the very beginning, just kind of explaining, you know, what the experience actually looks like. But mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority of the people who've actually taken the time to, you know, sort of play through all of these experiences have, have really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, it's provided, uh, you know, a nice escape for those who have participated, which that's, that's also something else that has been in the back of my mind from the very beginning with this is like, I wanted to create something that was kind of an escape, you mm-hmm. know, think about like where, where we were last year at this time. And I'm like, I want some kind of experience where I'm not just getting like a digital badge congratulating me for running a hundred miles. I want some sort of experience that takes me out of where I currently am. Right. And what I love about this is it's not necessarily, to my knowledge, about time or place. It's about adventure and experience and and fun and play, which is such a nice contrast to a lot of what running is sometimes. I mean, I think running can be play and it can be fun and it can be adventure. But like for a lot of times, a virtual race is a race, right? It's getting from point A to point B as fast as you can. And this is an alternative to that. Yeah, well, I think running is also very much about exploring, or at least for me, that's the the way that I think about it. You know, part of what I love about trail running is exploring a trail that I've never been on before or seeing something that I've I've never seen before. And these experiences are designed to kind of encourage people to explore. Yes, this is a a virtual experience, but these are real places you can go out and visit. A lot Mm -hmm. of the Sasquatch hotspots that comprise the great Sasquatch road trip you know, these, these are, these are in state parks and that was kind of by design. I, I wanted to try to find sightings that occurred 
in like cool places that you would want to go check out anyway, whether you believe in Sasquatch or not. And that was definitely on my mind when I put this together was maybe people haven't heard about this particular park. Maybe they haven't been to this part of the Mendocino Coast mm, before. Yeah. And, you know, we're in this space where we're so limited in terms of what it is that we can do, but we can still go outside. We can still explore. And, you know, if you have a weekend on your hands, like go on a road trip, drive up to the Mendocino Coast, check some of these places out. And I mean, that's, that's kind of, I mean, I mean, my girlfriend and I, we spent many weekends last year just going out and going for a hike at some park and like having a sandwich or a drink outside. I mean, it wasn't anything terribly grandiose, but it was a wonderful escape and it was sort of an adventure of sorts and it certainly helped me. And I think it helped her feel less claustrophobic and less of the sense of, of, you know, sort of cabin fever and being sort of, you know, locked down. Right. And I mean, I don't know if other people are like me, maybe other people are way more confident about like going out and exploring new trails and new areas. But like, if there's a trail or a park or an area that I want to go out, like I'm intimidated by it. I kind of, it takes a little bit of courage for me to say, okay, I'm going to drive out to this new park that I've never been to and like explore the trails. But if there's something else behind it, whether that's like an adventure that I signed up for or things that I'm specifically looking for, like it just makes it way more approachable. Like I would be like, oh, I need to go there to like complete the challenge. Right. It's a forcing function. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you get a story about what happened there. Sasquatches or Loch Ness monsters. So for people who didn't participate last year, who didn't maybe listen to the podcast, assuming that they're Bay Area people, like what is this experience like? Give them your pitch for, I guess, Haunted Bay Area, since that's the one that's coming up. Yeah. Um, so the Haunted Bay Area Road Trip, it launches on September 15th. I've positioned the experience a little bit differently in that you effectively have a year to complete it. I mean, I want to kind of position it as something that is you know, almost like a book or a novel or a film. You can pick it up and have this experience anytime you want. But there's a, a course map that spans 240 miles. That's sort of the the, the base experience. That was, that was the theatrical release, theatrical version. So 240 <laughs> yeah. miles. And so every 20 miles that you log, whether we're talking about walking, hiking, or running, that's going to unlock a haunted hotspot. Virtually all of these, these hotspots are based on real incidents, real people, real stories. So inspired by true events, right? So every 20 miles or so, you unlock one of these haunted hotspots and you get all of the, the details around the, the real incident, the real person, the real haunted house. And then simultaneously, what you get is the next chapter in this interactive narrative. So the idea here is you are stepping in the shoes of this intrepid young paranormal investigator who is exploring all of these various haunted hotspots. And she's, she's doing this for a variety of reasons, which I'm not going to disclose because it's part of the, the, the narrative itself. So every few miles that you log, you're getting the next chapter in this, this story. And so it unfolds over the course of 240 some odd miles and also involves kind of this, uh, this creepy creature who I would loosely define as a, as a running zombie who is chasing her for the majority of, of the experience. So you know, if you're someone who you like ghost stories, you like scary movies, uh, you like Stranger Things, you know what a choose your own adventure book is, I, I think it'll probably resonate for you. And of course, if you like walking, hiking or running, that helps too. I don't like being chased. So as long as I don't have to think about that, I'm, <laughs> I think I've 
told you before, I really don't like scary movies. Like I really am not a horror fan, Mm -hmm. but I think if I can take like the scariness out of this and just like keep the adventure sort of like the more benign, like horror aspect of it, then then I'd be okay. Well, well, bear in mind, we're, we're talking like PG, PG-13. This isn't hostile type stuff that I'm doing here. Nothing like that. I don't know if you've ever seen the original Poltergeist. I mean, it's it's not even mm. as scary as, as that. <laughs> well, so my millennial friends, my older millennial, I'm a geriatric millennial. I don't know what to call myself. I was born in the early 80s. You might appreciate this, but I was I was flying somewhere and I was watching this documentary called The Orange Years about like the golden age of Nickelodeon. It's amazing. Highly I, recommend. I saw it. I think it's yeah, it's on Hulu. And so they talk about like Snick and the origins of Are You Afraid of the Dark and Legends of the Hidden Temple and the Temple Guards. And let me tell you, two things I couldn't watch on Nickelodeon. Are You Afraid of the Dark scared the bejesus out of me and I could watch Legends of the Hidden Temple up until they had to run through the temple because if a temple guard popped out of one of the walls, it just, again, scared the bejesus out of me. So even the most like PG-13 like stuff on Nickelodeon still gave me nightmares. (laughs) Adorable. Yeah. I actually was watching the documentary and was like, I don't know. Can I watch the like footage of it? Am I going to be okay? (laughs) (laughs) Just the clips. (laughs) I'm not sure. I think I might need to close my eyes for this part. Well, see, in in, in stark contrast, you know, I was the kid who was, you know, I went to go see Psycho 2 in the theaters when I was like eight years old uh, and was reading Stephen King by the time I was 10 or 11 years old. So I I just have always had a real high tolerance for the stuff. You know, there's just something about that adrenaline rush of being scared. And like as a kid, I, I simultaneously loved it, but it was also one of these things that, you know, I wouldn't be able to sleep that night. I was so scared. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you kind of liked it. You yeah. liked that feeling, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I was the kid that couldn't go on the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. So we were different. It's okay. <laughs> we can both coexist. We're all good. Matt, did you have a lot of families that did this like together as a family type thing? That's a great question. Um I, I don't believe that I had a lot of people do it as families, but I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, what what do I do with this? You know, these kinds of experiences, because the truth is, I, I don't. I think they could move in a variety of different directions. I think they could evolve in a variety of different directions. And I did talk to Char Simpson, who wrote a book for Choose Your Own Adventure, and it was. I, I was an eighth grade witch, and she was kind enough to actually talk to me, and she really liked the experience itself, and. I reached out to Char because I was thinking in many respects, this, this could be something that would really resonate for kids Yeah, and, you know, kind of what that experience would look like if, you know, this was something that was a, I don't know, a choose your own adventure branded active virtual adventure or something along those lines. That is something that I'm still kind of exploring and researching. You know, is this something that would, would resonate for younger audience or resonate for a family, something that they could do together? Because I, I mean, I, I actually really like that idea. Yeah, that is such a cool idea. And like, again, going back to the difference between this and more traditional races is like, this can be something that families can participate in together that they can start and finish together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, part of this experience involves delivering content, emailing content. And, you know, if you have kids who are young, they may not have that kind of access. Their parents may not want them to receive content. So this is something that that absolutely could be a, a family type experience where they're reading the content and going through it together. Yeah. I'm like thinking about my partner's, uh, his brother has two kids and I feel like, you know, keeping them all like engaged on like 
a hike, a bike ride, you know, or like you could even do this as like a choose your own adventure. And like the youngest kid is riding her bike. The oldest kid is like kind of running with the dad and the mom is maybe hiking along, you know, like you could imagine this is something where like people are even doing different activities, but all together. And then the content itself is such an invitation to think about places, to spark their own creativity. Um, I just feel like there's something really like really playful about that approach. I'm going to encourage them to sign up because I think like it's something that I would have loved to have done with my family, you know, because I it's like a great thing excuse to, okay, let's let's go like log this or like this is, you know, where if we do this three more days, then we get unlock the next thing. Well, I, I do think of it in, in many respects, kind of like active edutainment. Mm. Um, so, I mean, there is there is an educational component there. There is an entertainment component and there is sort of, you know, this desire on my part to get people out and explore this actual spot. So I'd, I'd love to I'd love to see them sign up. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to encourage it. So tell us a little bit about the origins of Sasquatch racing. We talked a little bit about this the first time, but I feel like there's more of a story here and we want to hear kind of all about how this came to be. Okay. Wow. Well, so it uh, (laughs) really kind of started. (laughs) Do we need like two more hours? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, two or three hours would be great. I'll try to I'll try to give you the the detailed yet abbreviated version. But it was way back in 2012. I got involved in the screening of this fantastic documentary called Unbreakable, and it was about the Western States 100. If you haven't seen it, give it a spin. I at the time was a very serious road marathoner. I mean, I had done some trail running, certainly hadn't done anything in the ultra space, and, and really thought it was quite frankly it was just kind of nuts what a lot of people were doing in that space. But I saw this documentary and it kind of lit a fire under me. And I decided that, you know, I I wanted to at least dip my toe into the trail space and kind of spend some time out there and sort of see what this experience is about. So I I fell in with some runners, the ninjas, who would get up every Thursday at like five in the morning and go out and run the ninja loop. And these were some real serious runners. Devin Yanko, you you had people who were qualifying for the Olympic trials. And, and to be clear, I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that kind of runner. I was just out there. I was just along for the ride. So near the middle of the back of the pack, um, really just trying to, you know, kind of get back into trail running. But I, I very quickly fell in love with the Ninja Loop and, you know, that experience of going out there. And it's a very challenging course, but I mean, I, I just always felt better after I did it. And I always really enjoyed the experience. And so I actually started to train for a 50K and for a 50 miler. And so I spent a lot of time out in the Marin Headlands running the Ninja Loop. I once did a long run that included three loops of the Ninja Loop. That nearly (laughs) sent me to the hospital. That was pretty intense. It was a lot. Um, But as I was out there, I had been exploring the idea of rolling out some events, rolling out some races for quite some time, but just trying to figure out, okay, well, what what is this going to look like if I do this? And I was really falling in love with the experience of being out on the trails but I had my run club in San Francisco that is primarily, you know, beginner, intermediate, casual, recreational runners, not, not real serious runners. These, these aren't people who would do ultras. So I started to think about, well, what about creating some trail events, trail experiences that are, are not ultra-oriented? Um, because at the, at the time, you know, if you picked up an issue of Trail Runner magazine, the overwhelming majority of the content is ultra-oriented. And, you know, by and large, it, it, it still is today. It's primarily oriented towards that ultra audience. 
And, you know, if you're a casual recreational runner who's you know, doing 5Ks on the weekend, or maybe you're doing the rock and roll San Jose half or something like that, you know, you pick up an issue of Trail Runner magazine, you're probably going to be a little intimidated. I started brainstorming, okay, how do I create some trail experiences that wouldn't necessarily intimidate this audience? So, I mean, I, I committed very early on to, okay, let's, let's focus on like the 5K, the 10K, the half, those distances that are approachable and that are accessible. So even if, you know, running on the trails is kind of intimidating, kind of daunting, you know, the distances are at least familiar to you. There's some familiarity. And then, you know, started to think about, well, you know, what, what do we actually call the events? And I um, started to think about, you know, creatures that live in the woods or live on the trails or, you know, how do we make this sort of light and fun and again, non, non-threatening. And it just hit me one day when I was out scouting our course out at Redwood Regional Park in Oakland, the, the Sasquatch Scramble. I'm like, that's great. That rolls right off the tongue. It's fun. It's, it's disarming. It's not intimidating. It's not threatening. So that was the name of our first event, Sasquatch Scramble, and then ultimately decided to just name the company Sasquatch Racing because the Sasquatch I just think is such a great mascot and is sort of it's applicable in so many ways and like everybody can kind of identify with the Sasquatch and you know people project all kinds of things onto the Sasquatch, but I think you know primarily it's you know a creature that's per- perceived as sort of goofy, fun lighthearted, you know, you, you kind of want to have a beer with Sasquatch and hang out and have a good time. At least I do. But, you know, I, I wanted our events to kind of project that kind of energy. So pretty much every single race that I've rolled out since then, you know, we had the, the Honey Badger Half, the Rattlesnake Ramble, um, the Krampus Cross Country 5K and 10K, you know, all of them have kind of like a mascot, but it's largely sort of positioned as something that's fun, goofy, lighthearted, exploratory. And, and that's really kind of the experience I want people to have. So nothing against pain caves or supper fests, but that's not really my forte. Awesome. So with our last few minutes, we have some new rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Ooh, uh, let me take a deep breath here. Okay. All right. So we know it's August, but grocery stores, other things move quickly now. So yes, listeners, if this doesn't come out in August, which it probably won't come out in September, we are recording in August. But Matt, do you have a Halloween costume picked out yet? Uh, truthfully, I do okay. not. Neither do I. I, I. I, I should, <laughs> but, I, but I don't. Okay. I'll get on it though. I'll get on it. So maybe by the time this comes out, you'll have one picked. <laughs> what is your favorite book that you've read recently? Um, favorite book I've read recently. Well, I'm actually reading a book called The Science of Storytelling. So I'm definitely uh, neck deep in sort of the, the creative writing space. And it's actually been a while since I've read nonfiction. Yeah, you know, I've been kind of gravitating towards books that are about writing, about the creative process. And Science of Storytelling, I would highly recommend. Whether you're interested in actually writing or creating nice. or um, you know, just kind of fascinated by the writing process, I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. Yeah, sounds great. Okay. How long would you last in a zombie apocalypse? Um, well, that's, that's an interesting question. It's, it's a complicated, <laughs> you know, it's a complicated question and a complicated answer because what kind of zombies are we talking about? Are we talking about the shamblers from Night of the Living Dead? Or are we talking about like the rage type zombies from 28 Days Later who can sprint? Are we talking about running zombies? Either way, I feel like I've got a pretty good shot to hang around for a while just because I've seen enough zombie movies. So I feel like I'm pretty well versed in, in zombieology and like what's, what's required to survive that. So 
I'd like to think I'd be one of the the final four. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, what is your current favorite running shoe? Um, I have, um, well, actually, it's, it's interesting you brought this up. I don't know if you remember the last time that we talked. I, I've had some some pretty serious injuries that was was very limited in terms of the amount of running that I could do. I've got a couple of knee issues that I've been working through. Fortunately, I'm in a much better space now, and I have been able to do some more regular running these past few months. And the shoe that I've been rolling in almost exclusively is the Nike Infinity Run. It has a really thick, well-cushioned midsole, proprietary Nike midsole technology. Seems to work really well with my my cranky, achy knees. And then independent of that, I do run in the Nike, the trail Wild Horse when I get out on the trails. Mm. So that one is, uh, that's a fun shoe as well. You know, nice sort of aggressive outsole, not very heavy. It handles, you know, technical terrain fairly well. So those are my, my, two, my two big ones. Nice. Love it. And last final fun question, running in the rain, is it awesome or is it miserable? Um, kind of like the zombie apocalypse question. It's like, what kind of rain are we talking about? I am, I'm fond of running in the rain. If it's sort of a light kind of refreshing baptismal type rain, if we're talking about a deluge stormageddon, which is what I experienced at calendar national in 2012, that's, that's not a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say it depends on the kind of rain we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I can handle, you know, a little more than like a baptismal rain, but like, yeah, CIM 2012 or whatever that Boston year was where it was just like, what? <laughs> That's yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be able to handle that. Yeah. That was, that looked just crazy. People were like numb and just waterlogged. Um, well, Matt, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to connect with you again. We're so excited about, you know, what you're doing for in-person races. Thank you for advocating, for bringing them back, for kind of pushing this local community to bring back in-person races in a way that makes sense and is aligned with what we know from public health experts is as safe as possible. And for doing all that you do for virtual events and for the running community. You're such a great member of the community and all of those aspects. And we're lucky to call you a friend, a friend of the pod and a friend in real life as well. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, thank, thank you for the kind words. And, um, you know, thanks so much for, for having me. Fun to talk about running, scary movies, COVID, just fun to chat with you guys <laughs> as always. One of these days we won't have to talk about COVID and it can just be <laughs> fun conversations, but thanks so much. Thanks for your patience with our, our schedules. And we've had, I know some interesting technical challenges this time. Hopefully you listeners will not have noticed anything, um, but we just so appreciate, you know, just your friendship over the year and getting to know you and the community and what a, what an awesome part you play in it. So thank you for everything you do. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode with Matt Forsman. You can find Matt on Instagram at Sasquatch Racing, and you can also find him on Twitter at 262Matt. As always, you can find us at Runners of the Bay on Instagram and on Twitter. You can send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will help new listeners find the show. We love hearing from you. I'll admit I don't read reviews too often, but sometimes when I do and I, I see one that just like warms my heart and makes me want to cry and reminds me 
why we do this and how amazing our community is. Uh, not saying you all need to leave positive reviews. We appreciate constructive ones too. Um, but it's just nice to know that people are listening and we read them or when we do read them, you know, we take them seriously and we really want to make sure that we're bringing the types of conversations that you want to hear and that's important to you. So we love to hear from you in whatever way possible. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon.